This podcast is brought to you by HealthcareInfoSecurity.com, the leading online publication for risk management and security professionals within the healthcare industry. This is Howard Anderson, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today, we're talking with Scott McGill, CIO at the Coriel Institute for Medical Research, about the privacy and security issues involved when including genetic risk information in electronic health records. Please tell us a bit about the Institute and its ongoing research and explain why it recently launched the Personalized Medicine Project involving electronic health records of certain patients at Ohio State University Medical Center. The Institute has had a primary focus in biobanking for many, many decades. Um, we've recently, recently as uh, I'd say three to four years ago, um, introduced a new personalized medicine research study that has uh, really broadened the scope of what we do at the Coriel Institute to include uh, genetic information uh, as a, uh, a part of personalized health care. And really the, uh, the intent of the study is to try to understand the, uh, the usability of genetic information as it relates to health care but also attitudes and perceptions in the use of this kind of information. So recently we have uh, introduced about 6,000 people into a a community arm of the study, which uh, allowed um, virtually anyone to uh, come to one of our informed consent sessions and to uh, listen to um, information about what the uses of their information would be and then to uh, understand a little bit about what would be returned to them by way of a uh, a web-based portal. And essentially what that is is uh, information about their predilections for certain complex conditions and ultimately the the potential efficacy of drug interactions with their particular genetic makeup. And we've also uh, included some cohorts that are very specifically targeted toward uh, conditions that have been predefined. So we have been uh, creating collaborations with partners like uh, Ohio State University to uh, target some cohorts that are um, that have some known medical conditions. And so with Ohio State University, we're really doing two things. We're bringing members of the, uh, the uh, Ohio State um, patient community into the uh, collaborative that we've created, which, by the way, is called the Coriel Personalized Medicine Collaborative. So we, we refer to it as the CPMC for short. And those patients from Ohio State come in with uh, some pre-existing conditions um, really related to coronary artery disease and uh, uh, other heart conditions. And so the intent there is uh, not only to start to study patients that we know to have certain conditions, but also to begin to pilot the interaction of genetically informed information um, in the electronic health medical records. So... The intent is to integrate the information that's returned by the CPMC initiative with the um, the clinical care system that's being used by the physicians at Ohio State. Plans call for including genomic information in the electronic health records of about 1,800 patients treated by Ohio State physicians for congestive heart failure or hypertension. Tell us how that genetic information will be gathered, how it will be included in the EHR, and how the physicians then will use it. So there's actually a continuum of information that happens here um, when we do genetic testing. And uh, the the way that patients are enrolled in the, the process, uh, they certainly uh, go through informed consent sessions the same way that we do for our community arm. But then they are asked to uh, give us a saliva sample. So they, they spit in a tube, and we are um, then sent that tube from Ohio State where we process in our CLIA certified laboratory 
Um, the DNA that uh, is provided as part of that, that saliva sample. And we use a genetic uh, chip-based technology called, uh, well, it's, a, it's a, from a technology company called Affymetrics. And that produces about 2 million points of data for each of the, uh, the participants in the study. So it's, a, it's an overwhelming amount of information. Um, that information in of itself uh, is uh, not what's used to uh, report back to doctors the um, intent or the, the appropriate medical care for that patient. That's just simply overwhelming and, quite frankly, not human readable. So what's abstracted from that is um, first a, a variance file to tell us what's really um, of interest in that 2 million points of data. And then what we do at Coriel is to um, marry that information with an awful lot of um, curation of scientific journals and publications and a, an evidence code that we've developed at Coriel that gives us a confidence rating on um, returning information back to a doctor for clinical care. So if there has been you know, a single paper published about a, uh, a particular correlation between a genetic variation and a condition, um, that may not be good enough for us to say that's something we should tell doctors about. So we use this chain of evidence and, and really um, the, the bulk of knowledge that's being developed um, constantly uh, in the scientific community to try to understand when we've reached a threshold of something that we consider to be reportable and actionable. And we generate reports based on that. So we're reporting today on, uh, on complex conditions like the type 2 diabetes and coronary artery disease and things like that. And we've just begun uh, reporting now on what's called pharmacogenomic results, which are really the, um, the known scientific uh, studies that have correlated genetic uh, makeup with what efficacy certain drugs will have for that particular person. So it's actually quite uh, um, scientifically valid now to say that if you have a certain genetic makeup, that uh, Plavix, for example, will not uh, metabolize for that particular person. And so that's something that's uh, of particular interest to the doctors as they try to prescribe treatment, certainly. So what, we're, what we are actually doing with the EMR system, uh, which is uh, the EPIC system at Ohio State, is to pass to them not the raw genetic files, which, again, aren't really human-readable, but really that abstracted and analyzed version, that, uh, that report itself, which is very human-readable, and uh, we've spent an awful lot of time and attention on making sure that that report is something that a doctor can use um, right there in the clinic with the patient, um, you know, right in front of them. So the intent is that what we pass in an identified way into the EMR system is just the outcome report. Now, the, um, the raw information itself is extremely valuable to researchers, right? So the, having the ability to, um, to correlate both EMR records, uh, information about clinical care, with genetic information is something that uh, in, in a large database would be extremely helpful for us to, to uh, try to create new discovery work. And so what we're doing is um, passing that information both to Ohio State, but not for use in their direct uh, EMR system, but also drawing information out of their EMR so that we can really create a de-identified uh, research data playground, if you will. Okay, does adding uh, the uh genetic information as you describe it to the EHRs raise new privacy risks for the EHRs themselves? Well, the EHR uh, certainly will um, contain new information that's valuable to physicians. And so for that, we're all very glad and, and uh, hopeful of the promise of what this can bring. 
but really, when when we're talking about just putting genetic risk information in these uh, these EHR systems, just the analyzed reports, it's really not a lot different than virtually any other lab test that might be run for a, a given patient. Um, my genetic information is really a you know it's it's a physiological characteristic of me, just like my blood pressure and my cholesterol level and so forth. So the reports that are returned from a laboratory that tell me that I've got high cholesterol, um, then that's that's essentially the same sort or the same classification of information we're talking about when we say that I have a, spe a specific gene makeup um, that gives me uh, you know some information about what care might be appropriate for me. So because we're not really talking about putting the full genetic sequence or even the subset of sequence that we do we do testing for today, into the EHR itself, we're, we're not introducing any new privacy risks there. Um, other than that, uh, there may be some information that's returned as part of a genetic report that's new and, and novel um, because that's something we just haven't been able to do before. So we do know that uh, genetic information is protected by a federal law now called GINA, which means that uh, you can't be discriminated against based on your genetic information. Um, but like anything else, it's uh, it's something we're paying very, very close attention to and making sure that everything that we do um, adheres to uh, HIPAA standards and other federal regulations for protection of privacy. Okay, so what steps does the Medical Center already take to protect the privacy and security of EHRs, and is it taking any additional steps to protect this new genetic information that's in it? Well, I can't speak for the uh, the information technology folks at Ohio State uh, in too much detail other than to say that Ohio State certainly adheres to all of the regulations of HIPAA and the, the uh, protection of um, personalized information for uh, all of their patients. One thing I will say is that as we talk about the use of this information for um, research purposes, um, we're spending an awful lot of time and attention in making sure that the information, the genetic information, is, has been de-identified in such a way that uh, even if there were some sort of a breach of our technological security, um, that information would be virtually useless. So there's really two uses of this information, right? There's the marrying of the, the specific genetic uh, results to the patient information in the EHR, and then there's this creation of a research data bank, which can be used and reused. And it's in that, that second uh, use that we, we're paying uh, new and critical attention to making sure that um, no one can abuse that information. Can you tell us a little bit more about that, how you um, restrict access to that database and how that de-identification process works? Uh, we, we host all of our, um, our own systems here, so we're not using any um, external hosts for um, storage of information or for um, really any direct external access. So the information is really within the confines of our firewall and our security systems uh, at Coriel. Uh, there's a similar scenario at uh, Ohio State. And so where we've got these uh, banks of information that have been de-identified, they are protected by industry standard firewall, industry standard authentication mechanisms. Um, anytime we push anything over the wire, you know, as we exchange information between New Jersey and Ohio State, um, we're using encrypted channels for all of that. So there's really no information flowing back and forth that is um, open to any sort of uh, internet access uh, hacking or, or uh, sniffing, so to speak. So we're um, quite confident in the, the data security that we've got on site here, but at the same time, you know, nothing is foolproof. Um, the banks will, will certainly attest to that. 
So what we've really done is spend a lot of time making sure that even if the information was uh, to somehow egress from, from our uh, organization, that it really doesn't uh, in any way or can't in any way be tied back to a specific individual. And we do that by essentially stripping away everything but basic demographic information about that patient uh, when that information is, is uh, collected and stored. Um, at Coriel, we do that by barcoding, right? So all personally identifying information about the sample itself is uh, simply not stored electronically. Um, it's barcoded and matched only at the time in which uh, a patient or a participant in our study logs into our, our web-based portal. So they authenticate to a web-based portal which has uh, information um, only identifiable by an email address. There's really no, no uh, names or addresses or anything else that we store. But that information lives in an entirely separate system, um, encrypted system, from the actual genetic information and risk reports. So the only time those, those two databases talk is at the user's browser over an encrypted channel. So it's a, it's a late binding authentication system. And there's uh, something very similar going on uh, when we actually push that information direct into the OSU uh, EMR system. So finally, what do you hope to learn about having access to genomic information within EHRs and how it might affect the quality of care? What we're seeing as the, the choke point here for the adoption of, of uh, genetic information and personalized medicine is really the ongoing education of the clinicians themselves. You know, this is... Uh, uh, this is a whole new field. We're, we're on the cutting edge here, and so um, this wasn't uh, courses that were being offered at medical schools 10 and 15 years ago. So for us, what we're seeing is uh, there, there's a widespread um, consensus that genetic information will be increasingly important in the, the care of patients in the future, but that there's a, a, um, a healthy degree of skepticism and uh, just an education gap on how to actually use it. So we've really been um, looking at this as a, a first-wave trial of how we can get this information in front of a physician at the time in which they're actually providing care. And the way you do that is to um, push this information directly into the system that they're using, um, which happens to be, in, in OSU's case, the EPIC uh, EMR system. And so if we can get that information there at their fingertips and make it human-readable, readily accessible, we were, we're really interested to find out just how much this information is used to change the course of the health care that's provided to that patient. Well, thanks, Scott. We've been talking today with Scott McGill of the Coriel Institute for Medical Research. This is Howard Anderson. Thanks so very much for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by HealthCareInfoSecurity.com. For more interviews, breaking news, research, and educational webinars, please visit www.healthcareinfosecurity.com.